First Chronicles chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 9 and 10. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, O that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. I've titled this message, Jabez, the man who overcame by turning stumbling blocks into stepping stones. The man who overcame by turning stumbling blocks into stepping stones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you that you preserved it for us so we can have it, hold it, read it, and study it, show ourselves approved. Unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Help us to rightly abide thy truth. I pray as we look into this passage of Scripture tonight, consider this man who was born in sorrow, yet triumphed in life. I pray, Father, that you'd encourage our hearts and challenge us and help us to rejoice in your goodness and to diligently seek your wisdom and guidance in every circumstance and catastrophe of life. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> you know, there's, of course, there's been books written about Jabez. Most of them have nothing to do with what's written here. But, um, but anyway, the Bible says here that Jabez, this was, a, this was a difficult time in Israel, but Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, because, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. Now here's a man who was born with inherited disadvantages. The Bible says his mother called him Jabez, because I bear him with sorrow. His name means sorrow. That's kind of easy to see, isn't it? Sorrow, or it can mean height. And if you think about it, as we're going to see this tonight from this, this, this passage, it could go either way for Jabez. It could continue in sorrow, his life could continue in sorrow, or his life could be lifted up and exalted. Now the word sorrow here... Um, According to the Hebrew, lexicon means hurtful way of any wicked habit, way of idolatry, of the pain of exile. Now, you know, his mother called him Jabez, saying, because I have borne him with sorrow. This word is used four times in the Old Testament. Two times it's translated sorrow. And another time it's translated mine idol. And the other time it's translated, um, where is it here? Wicked. Let me read them to you. Psalm, Psalm, well, Psalm 139 verse 24 says, And see if there be any wicked way in me. And that's the same Hebrew word that's translated sorrow here. 
Uh, Psalm 143, or 100, or, no, I'm sorry, Isaiah 14.3 says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall give thee rest from the sorrow and from fear and from the hard bondage when, wherein thou wast made to serve. So there's translated sorrow. And Isaiah 48.5 says, I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee. Lest thou shouldest say, Mine idol hath done them. And my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. So twice it's translated sorrow. The other, one other time it's translated wicked. And then the fourth time it's translated mine idol. And the definition it gives is hurtful way of any wicked habit. Way of idolatry. Now the Bible really doesn't tell us explicitly how Jabez, the birth of Jabez came about. But the fact that she used this term to describe his birth, I believe the implication here is that Jabez's birth came about as a result of some act of idolatry, some act of wickedness. And, of course, we know that during the times of the judges, Israel you know, participated in, promoted all the wickedness of the Canaanites that were in the land before them. And many times in that those idolatrous actions involved adultery, adulterous actions as well. And so it, it implies here that you know, this, this birth was the result of some act of idolatry which caused pain, sorrow, public shame, exile. Probably been, it made him an outcast. Of society, or feel like an outcast in society, and when we see this in, in another character in the Old Testament, you go to Judges chapter eleven, and I believe this is around the same time. Judges chapter eleven, in verse one, Judges eleven verse one it says, "Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, and he was a son of an harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah." And Gilead's wife, not his harlot, but his wife, bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren, dwelt in the land of Tob, and there were gathered vain men to Jephthah, and went out with him. Now, we know that Jephthah turned things around for his own life. Even though he was thrust out, he was exiled, so to speak. He was the son of a harlot. And so he was exiled by his family, yet the Bible tells us he was a mighty man of valor. And, of course, Israel came for him for help in that situation. But, but we see here that he was driven out because of a, a you know, public shame or disgrace, you might say. Uh, so, again, we don't know exactly what was the cause of sorrow, pain, in Jabez's life. Uh, we just know there was sorrow. And, you know, we are all born in sin with a natural propensity or inclination to sin. And, you know, sometimes to magnify our justification, you know, sometimes we... we we uh, uh, adhere to that or, or embrace that, that idea to justify our, our anger, our bitterness, our resentment. You know, you know, it's characteristic of life. 
Think about it. People that have straight hair want wavy or curly hair. And people that have wavy or curly hair want straight hair. You know, um, blondes want to be brunettes. And brunettes want to be blondes. And we could go on and on and on. You know, these skinny guys that can't put appear to be uh, hulks, they, they want to be hulk up. And the guys that are hulked up, they want to be skinny. Well, some of them do anyway. You know, we, we have these, we're, we're never content with what we are. We're always looking, you know, at something that we think is better or, or, or looking at something in our life that we feel like God gypped us. You know, we have men that want to be women and women that want to be men. That's not a new thing. It's just that the extremes to which they're going to promote such things are new. You know, I think the men that want to be women just want to uh, 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 get a chance to play in women's sports so they can win. Um, you know, when I was in school, we laughed them right out of the locker room. But anyway, uh, you know, this is, this, again, this is characteristics of life. Uh, you can talk to some that appear to have it very good, and yet they see their situation as painful or detrimental to their well-being. And it can be two people in the same house. You know, one may look on it as being blessed, and the other may look on it as being cursed. But see, as to which, it's how each one responds to each situation. Why is that? Well, there's an old saying. The same sun that melts butter hardens clay. See, the reason is a hard issue. It's a hard issue. So Jabez here was a man born with great disadvantages. He could have thrown out the laid down the victim card, you know. Uh, like many today, you know, I'm the wrong race, or my skin's the wrong color, or I, you know, I'm the wrong gender, or I'm, you know, so on and so forth. But back then that wouldn't have helped. Um, anyway, but despite all this, the Bible says that he was an honorable man. If you notice, look at verse 9 again. The beginning of the verse says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. The word honorable has come the idea of a distinguished or having honor or respect. Uh, it's also defined as glorious things. When, you, when you're talking about God, it's, it speaks of glorious things. Uh, Dictionary.com defines it as characterized by principles of honor, uprightness, noble. You know, some characters in the Bible that are called honorable. In 1 Samuel 9, 6, Samuel is referred to an honorable man where it says, And he said unto him, this is uh, Saul's servant saying to Saul, Behold, now there's, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh to pass, surely to pass. Now let us go hither, and peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. So Samuel was referred to as an honorable man, and he was an honorable man. Um, 
Uh, it's also spoken of David, that he was honorable. First Samuel twenty two fourteen says, Ahimelech, who was the priest, answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in all his house? In other words, he's an upright man. Uh, he, he lives by principles of honor. And so this, was the, this is what here is said here about Jabez. And, you know, though he's born in a difficult life, he determined that he was going to do things that were right. You know, there, were, there were some things that set him apart or distinct from those around him. He was not like everyone else. He did not just go along with the crowd or go along with the world. You know, I've often said to young people, you know, any dead fish can float downstream. Anybody can go along. It's, it's not difficult to go along with the world, do what everybody else is doing. But he didn't do that. If you think about an honorable man, I believe it speaks of a man who considered his path, his way in life. He took an honest look at his situation, how he got there, at himself, and sought to reason out a good answer to the condition he's in. But you know, an honest evaluation is a humbling one. I heard an old preacher say years ago, being humble is just being honest. I mean, if you're going to be honest with yourself, you're going to have to accept the fact that you're worthy of condemnation before a holy and righteous God. You have to be humble. And so, <coughs> it was, an, it was a, a, a moment of honestly, a moment of humility for him. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So, to be honorable requires humility. Luke 8.15, in the parable of the, good, of the, of the uh, sower, the Lord said, But that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. So, so here was somebody, here was a man who took an honest look at his situation and sought out a solution. Too many people are in bad situations, but they don't want answers. They want pity. They want to be a victim. They want to be provided for. They don't want to see themselves as they are and really find solutions. Proverbs eleven twenty seven says, He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. So you have to diligently seek good. Diligent speaks of effort. Putting forth some effort. Applying yourself to it. You know, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And if we seek God diligently, he will be found of us, because he's not very far from every one of us. Paul said in Acts chapter 17. To the people at Athens. 
He's not very far from it. The Bible says wisdom hath built her house. God is near. What he's looking for is people that would diligently seek him. And here was a man who sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. I, I think that his secret to this is found in a term that we see in the Bible, but we don't use today. It's called meekness. Meekness. A lot of people think meekness means weakness, but it doesn't. It's very different. Twice the Bible says, Psalm 37, 11, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. In Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I'll ask you a question. Who will rule and reign on this earth when Jesus returns? It's those who, in meekness, seek him. Meekness is defined in Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Um, he defines meekness this way. Uh, there, are two, quote, there are two essential components of this quality come into play in the Bible. A conflict in which an individual is unable to control or influence circumstances. So, so it's leaving control, giving up control of your circumstances. Typical human responses in such circumstances include frustration, bitterness, anger. But the one who is guided by God's spirit accepts God's ability to direct events. So you're giving up the idea that I've got to be in control to accepting how God directs events in your life. That's meekness. Meekness is therefore an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. Meekness is not a resignation to fate, a passive and reluctant submission to events for as little value in such a response. Nevertheless, since the two responses, resignation and meekness, are externally often indistinguishable, it's easy to see how what one once was once perceived as a virtue has become the defect in contemporary society. The patient, hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances identifies the person as externally vulnerable and weak, but inwardly resilient and strong. Meekness does not identify the weak, but more precisely the strong who have been placed in a position of weakness where they persevere without giving up. The use of the weak word when applied to animals makes this clear, for it means tame when applied to wild animals. In other words, such animals have not lost their strength, but have learned to control the destructive instincts that prevent them from living in harmony with others. Therefore, it is quite appropriate for all people, from the poor to ancient near Eastern kings, to describe their submission to God by the term meek, unquote. So it's, it's, you know, it's like an animal who still has a strength, but it's been tamed or brought under control. And so a meek person is one who still has strong. Moses was a mighty man. 
You know, Acts chapter 7 tells us he was mighty in words and deeds. But what did Moses do? He submitted himself to God. I mean, Moses was trained in such a way in Egypt that he had every capability of going back to Egypt, raising an Israelite army, and go to war against Egypt. Because he was trained, a leader, a soldier. You know what? He tried that, didn't he? He killed an Egyptian that was beating an Israelite. And 40 years later, after spending 40 years in the desert where God showed him, that's not my way. Hey, Moses, you need to do it my way. You submit to my way, and I'll bring him out. I'll use you, but you need to be submitted to my way. You need to bring your emotions and your desire to control things and direct things under my control, and I will show great power in thee. Who manifests greater power than Moses did in the Bible? But again, it was under the direction and control of God himself. And so that's what meekness is. And, And here you have a man who submits himself. He submits his life, his circumstances to God and seeks wisdom of God to learn from and benefit from those bad circumstances. We're in Maine. This guy by the name of Al, he worked at the ski lodge. And a very nice man and professed to be a Christian. He was in his mid-70s, I think, when when we were there. Anyway, I talked to him quite a bit. He told me one day, and we were talking about, you know, difficult difficulties of life. And he, said, and he, said, he told me that when his dad died when he was seven years old. And so he was, he was and he was the oldest in the family. And so it was kind of incumbent upon him to help raise the rest of the children. There were, I don't know how many other siblings, but, you know, the, he, he did. He took kind of responsibility. That was kind of put upon him because he was the oldest in the family. But he said, he said, that made me a stronger person. That helped me in life. I didn't become bitter, resentful that I lost my dad. Though it hurt. But God used it. He looked at it as God used it to help him in his own life. And many times... God allows things into our life to, to school us, to train us. Look at that. Go over to First uh, Timothy. First Timothy chapter one. Paul talks about this. First Timothy chapter one. In verse 11 says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter 
Believe on him to everlasting life. Hey, if you have ever, anybody ever say to you, I'm too big of a sinner for God to save, talk to them about Saul, the persecutor. See, there's no such thing as Paul said. He says that he will show in me a pattern for them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. God saves sinners. And great sinners. But the reality is we're all great sinners. And so... Jabez was more honorable. He sought the Lord. And that's what we see here. Jabez sought then the right source of wisdom for life. You notice in verse 10. (coughs) Excuse me. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, that thy hand might be with me. Thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, you know, Jabez called on the God of Israel. Now, the name Israel was given to Jacob after he wrestled. Remember, he wrestled with the angel Lord, which I believe was a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ himself. And the Lord gave him a new name, Israel. And that name means prince with God. So, Jabez goes to the right source. He goes to the prince. He goes to the highest up he can get to. He goes to God, and he calls on him. In other words, he sought him out. We saw that. We sought him out, and he makes some specific requests. Three, Three requests I see here. Number one, he says, bless me. Bless me. Now, the word blessed means happy fruitful kind of kind of idea. Uh, so he says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. God, I really want you to bless my life. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners. No, if you're going to be blessed of God, it's going to require some obedience to God. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You see, this is the blessed man. Blessed is the man. So he wanted God to bless him and make his life. He wanted him to make his life a blessing. He also says that thou wouldest enlarge my coast. Now, <coughs> the word enlarge has the idea of making me useful. Giving me purpose. You know, a lot of the world doesn't have purpose in life. What am I here for? I don't know. It came from monkey, so, you know, I don't know what I'm here for. No, no God has a purpose for every one of us. And, and Jabez says, enlarge my coast. Make me useful. Make me useful. Psalm 40 and verses 1 through 3. In Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, Psalmist said, I waited patient for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. 
He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. That's our purpose. We ought to praise God. That's our, that's our first and primary purpose is to praise God. The second is like unto it, many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. You know, we're the Lord, love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. And the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And you think about that. We're to praise God. There's to be praised unto our God and many to see it. So it's to be, our worship is to God, but many to see it. So our, that's our witness. And so Jabez wants his coast, his life used, used of God. He wants God to use his life. You know, Paul spoke of this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Go there to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And, you know, a lot of people have this idea in our world today that if you're going to be useful, if you're going to reach the world, you have to join in with them. You have to play their music. You have to go to their dances. You have to drink social drink with them. You have to do all this kind of stuff with them that the Bible forbids. And, you know, that was Corinthian philosophy that was creeping into the church of Corinth. And Paul tells them in verse 11, 2 Corinthians 6, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened. That word straightened means to restrict it means really, the you know the word straight in Matthew chapter five, uh, Matthew seven, where it talks about straight is the gate and narrow is the way. It means it's a way with many obstacles. It's a difficult way. And so he says, "You're not straightened in us. You're not being hindered. You're not bringing up putting obstacles in your in your way by obeying us. You're doing that." By going your own way. By doing what you think is best. Notice he says here, you're not straightened in us, verse 12, but you're straightened in your own bowels. In other words, doing things that you feel is right and not what's commanded by God. You know, the world has, has comes up with all these programs and methods. You know, seeker-friendly. You give people what they want. Track them with gimmicks and all that kind of stuff. And, and Paul's saying, look, you're straightened. You're hindering. And then he says, Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. And then he goes into this explanation about being separated from the things of the world. So he's telling us, look, if you want to be made useful, if you want to have an effective witness, you've got to be separated unto God. And the Father will receive you as a son and a daughter. And he will make you useful. See, we forget. We think we have to make ourselves useful. No, Jabez asked God to enlarge his coast. He didn't try to do it on his own. He didn't try to do it his own way, what he thought was best. No, he asked God to enlarge his coast. No, we need to ask God by being obedient to God and let God direct us in our life to make us useful. So, he said, enlarge, 
enlarge my coast. In other words, make me useful in life. You know, we ought to desire to be used of the Lord. We are servants of the Lord, as Paul said, and, and, and we are to obey his commands and follow his directives. And then I see a third thing here. He said, And Jabez called him the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me. So he wanted God's presence. Is really, there's, there's, there's four things here. He wanted God's presence to go with him. Again, without the presence of God, we're nothing. John 15, except you abide in the vine, you cannot bring forth fruit. For without me, you can't do nothing. John 15, 5 tells us. So, you know, we need to be as Moses said, Lord, if you go not with us, take us not up hence. And, of course, God had promised that his presence would go with Moses. Oh, we need the presence of God in our life. And then we see a third thing. You know, we could talk about five things, really. His presence, his power, his protection. And, and so we see here, in fact, I do have protection here. We see he, he wants his power in, in uh, uh, verse 10 again. That, uh, and that thine hand might be with me. So, so the hand speaks of God's power. Uh, Psalm 144, verse 1 says, The Lord teacheth my fingers to fight. My hands to war and my fingers to fight. Now, of course, David, I don't believe that he's just talking about the battles against the Philistines when he, when he wrote that. Uh, he said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, in he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. So, so he was seeking the power of God to overcome the enemy without and within. See, we need, we need, we need God's power to live the Christian life effectively. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. By the word of truth, by the power of God. By the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. And then in chapter 13, verse 4, he says, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. You know, they said of Paul, his bodily presence is weak. But he said, if I come, I will not be weak. For he said, I live by the power of God. And his preaching was in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It doesn't require a, a, a hulk of a man to preach the word of God with power. What it requires is the presence and power of God that makes the word of God effective. Not the size of the man. And then we see also he prayed for protection. And again, this is very important. And Jabez called him the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, that thine hand might be with me, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. 
See, Jabez come to understand something. That a sorrow into which he was born was because of sin. And that sin brings sorrow. Sin brings heartache. Sin brings misery. Sin brings death. We know that death passed upon all men, that all have sin. So Jabez understood, and he understood the power of sin and the misery and destruction of sin. He also understood the power of Satan. Notice he says, Thou wouldest keep me from evil. Not only you protect me from that which is without, but keep me from evil. So he understood the power of Satan, his own natural inclination or attraction to sin. We all have it. There may be just different things that attract different ones of us. But in each of us is a natural inclination or a natural attraction to sin. We understand that. And beware. And realize the weakness of the flesh and the danger that is there. Day in, day out. So he understood that it was really only God that could protect him. Psalm 121, excuse me, Psalm 121 tells us, speaks of the protection of God. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. You see, behold, the Lord is the keeper of our soul. He's our protector. And Jabez is asking God, Lord, keep me from evil. I've got an evil, wicked heart. I've got an attraction to sin. Keep me from evil. It's what brought about this sorrow I was born in. Keep me from it. And the Bible tells us that the Lord granted him that which he requested. Now, I said at the beginning that Jabez can mean one of two things. Sorrow or height. It could have went either way. Jabez could have remained in sorrow. But out of his sorrow, he sought the Lord. And he was brought high. He was lifted up. Your God can bring the proud and haughty down, but he will exalt the meek and the honorable. Psalm 40 tells us, um, 
I waited patient for the Lord, and inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also and hired out of a mire, out of a horrible pit, out of a mire clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my going. He brought me up. You know, Ephesians two tells us that we're all you know, we're all um, uh, dead in trespasses and sins, that's how it starts out. But God, who is rich in mercy, we're with his great love, with he loved us. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. See, you could, you would have, you can, you can remain in your sin or you can be lifted up by God. Jobaz was born like each of us is in sin. We're all disadvantaged in some way. Some of us have greater advantages in life than others. But all of us have that attraction to sin, that inclination to sin. But it's what we do with and about the Lord that changes the picture. We go from Jabez, born in sorrow, to Jabez, raised up in height, the victor victor and you can have the victory you and I can have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ you know we need to be like Jabez we need to seek seek out the wisdom and understanding of God the way of the Lord for our lives that he will raise us up and make us useful in his sight So we can overcome the stumbling blocks through the power of God and turn them into stepping stones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for this example written in the Old Testament for our admonition, for our learning. I pray, the Father, that you'd help us to apply these things that Jabez did as a testimony to us will help us apply them to our own lives and to be allow you to work in and through us uh, <coughs> and to empower us uh, to be useful in thy service. And we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.